We are continuing our series uh, through Acts, and we are up to Acts 8, which happens also to be part 8 of our series, Acts, the Message and the Messenger. And since the beginning of Acts, the growth of Christianity has been explosive. In a matter of weeks, there were literally thousands of believers. And what has become abundantly clear, some like Adonis and Sapphira might say painfully clear, is that this new faith has more to do with the heart than external practices and outward rituals, which the temple leaders held so dear. But it shouldn't have come as a surprise to them because the Old Testament prioritised the heart uh, too. The Old Testament, for its laws and sacrifices, looked forward to the day when God would perform heart surgery, even heart transplant, uh, on his people, in his people. For example, in Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now, the heart is an extremely common term in Scripture. We speak of the heart as the organ that pumps blood around the body. But the Bible is more concerned with the heart as the location of moral and ethical and spiritual activity and attitudes. And so the Old Testament doesn't speak of a physical heart. It speaks of a spiritual heart, a heart that needs to be renewed and cleansed by God. And in Acts, as people begin to respond to the gospel, either rightly or wrongly, either positively or negatively, their hearts are exposed. That's what the gospel does. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And here in Acts 8, the gospel exposes the hearts of two men, Simon the sorcerer and the Ethiopian eunuch. And so we're going to take a look at both of them. And we're also going to take a good look at our own hearts too. Uh, Philip is one of those believers who was scattered beyond Jerusalem after Stephen is stoned and, and heavy persecution breaks out against the church. Um, and he goes to preach in Samaria. Verses 6 to 8 read, When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And this is when Simon the sorcerer is introduced for the first time. We're told that he amazed people and therefore had gained a reputation and a following. Um, he boasted that he was someone great. The, the people even called him the great power of God. He craved attention and affirmation, and he got attention and affirmation. But when the gospel came to town, people started to believe Philip and were baptised. In fact, we're told in verse 13 that Simon himself uh, believed and was baptised. But although Simon appears to respond to the gospel, we learn that actually he's really only interested in mimicking the sort of power that the apostles possessed. Having heard that many had accepted the gospel in Samaria, the apostles whom were still in Jerusalem uh, sent Peter and John to place their hands on the believers and they received the Holy Spirit. And Simon sees this and he wants that same power for himself. As one author writes, he wanted the gifts, 
not the giver. The person, but not, pardon, the power, but not the person. And he even offers the apostles money. Does it sound like Simon's conversion was genuine? Probably not, right? Peter says in verses 20 to 21, basically, to hell with your money. He would have no part or share in this ministry because his heart was not right before God. The work of the Spirit is not for sale. The Spirit is a gift from God. And Peter exposes, the gospel exposes the true state of Simon's heart. Simon was still captive to sin, verse 23. He could not bring himself to deny himself because, because he was a somebody, as far as he was concerned, he was rightly called the great power of God. The gospel came to Simon, but he, he never truly desired to repent and repent of his sin and be forgiven. He wanted to use it and abuse it. He desired above all else attention and affirmation, and he wanted to use the Holy Spirit. He wanted to use God as a means to this end. But already in Acts, we've seen that you cannot deceive God and you cannot manipulate God. Simon couldn't receive the gospel because he was so full of himself. And so long as we are full of ourselves, neither can we receive the gospel. Because to become a Christian is to repent of our true selves, our inherent sin and our depraved hearts, and to seek forgiveness from and righteousness in the Lord Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whoever wants to be Jesus' disciples must deny themselves because it's not about us, it's about him. Jesus didn't send the Holy Spirit so that Simon or anyone else for that matter might receive attention and affirmation. He sent the Holy Spirit so that he might receive attention and adoration. So beware of thinking of yourself, like Simon did, as a somebody. It's very difficult to truly perceive your need to be saved if you don't think you need saving. God will repay each person according to what they have done. But if you trust in Jesus, his victory is ours. And Jesus is the one who has conquered the world and sin and death. That's, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Now, whatever happens to Simon? Well, uh, we don't know. Uh, but we, well, and neither can we be sure that he took the, Peter's advice to repent and, and pray for forgiveness. But we do know that the gospel had exposed his heart. Can, can you see that? The Ethiopian's heart was exposed by the gospel too. And if Simon the sorcerer shows us how not to respond to the gospel, the Ethiopian eunuch shows us how to respond to the gospel. An angel directs Philip to this desert road and that stretched from Jerusalem to Gaza and the spirit led him to an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, a eunuch is an emasculated male and it was common practice uh, for those men who served royalty in northern Africa. And this eunuch was the finance minister of the royal court. And he'd been to Jerusalem to worship. Now, we don't know whether he was a Jew 
um, or just a God-fearer. But either way, he would have been considered by the Jews as a nobody. Whether or not he was a Gentile, he was a eunuch, which meant he would have been considered as an outsider and an outcast. He was a nobody. And so the eunuch's visit to Jerusalem may not have been all that encouraging. In fact, it would have been fairly discouraging. But he's here, he's sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, an incredibly expensive item to personally possess, by the way. And Philip asks, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch doesn't pretend to understand. He doesn't pretend to believe. He replied, how can I unless someone explains it to me. It's a glorious picture of how God uses his people and his word in tandem to advance the gospel throughout the world. We have the truth. We are called to hold out the truth. We're called to live the truth. We're also called to explain the truth. But, but how many of us have ever heard, please explain, when it comes to our faith? It's a response we sort of, we sort of dream of. And yet, how many of us have ever asked the question, would you like to read the Bible with me? Do you understand what you're reading? Would you like me to explain it to you? Perhaps if we ask the question, we might be surprised with what the Spirit is doing in the hearts of others. Since the beginning of the year, um, there have been a few new girls who have been coming to youth group. And there was one particular afternoon where uh, Miriam, my wife, and one of the leaders um, was pretty sure there weren't going to be any girls who could make it. It was a little discouraging, but she went anyway. And uh, one of the girls comes bounding in with this huge smile on her face. And, and she explains that she couldn't, she couldn't find a Bible at home. And so she went ahead and ordered one online. And she just couldn't wait to read it and understand it. Now, we've been told... Not, uh, we've told ourselves to not expect this sort of keenness. But God's word does bear fruit. It is alive and it is active uh, by his spirit. Notice, what the spirit. notice how the spirit works here. He directs Stephen to explain from the scriptures the good news of Jesus. Now, in speaking of our faiths, we can say a whole lot of things about a whole range of different matters, but it's very important that we speak about the person and the work of Jesus. What might exactly Philip have said, um, we actually don't know, but if you read the same verses that the Ethiopian was reading in his chariot and the few verses either side of that, you get a pretty good idea. He was reading from Isaiah uh, chapter 52 and 53, where Isaiah, in speaking of the suffering servant Jesus, teaches that we're all sinful people, that our sin would be laid to his account and that this servant would give himself voluntarily for the sins of the people and that he would, he would live and be vindicated. And the Ethiopian eunuch responds and he's, he's baptised. His heart is exposed as he, he recognises his sin and his need to be renewed and cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus. Others may have thought of him as a nobody, but he knew himself to be a nobody before God. He knew that he was undeserving. He knew that he was needy. 
And yet, having just come from Jerusalem, where the eunuch would have been barred from full access to the temple, he's now adopted as a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. See, oftentimes nobodies, the lowly, the needy, the outsider, are able to accept the gospel more readily than those who think of themselves as somebodies, because unlike the somebodies, they know their need. That's why it's so important we continue to acknowledge our need before God in regularly confessing our sin. That's why Jesus would say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, What happens to the Ethiopian eunuch? Uh, Again, we're not not sure, Uh, but the gospel had exposed his heart, hadn't it? And he wasn't full of himself. He knew of his neediness before God. And so he put his faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins. And in all of this, we see God's heart too. And we see it from the very beginning. God is a saviour at heart. Uh, Stephen had been martyred and great persecution broke out among the church at the beginning of chapter 8 and verses 1 to 3. But, and yet in, chapter, in verse 4, pardon, those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And so exactly as Jesus had commissioned in, back in chapter 1, verse 8, the gospel goes to Samaria. The gospel was breaking all sorts of boundaries here. And all throughout the scriptures, and no less here, God wears his heart on his sleeve. And Acts 8 teaches us that he is, one, he is for missions and evangelism. And two, he is for the outsider and the outcast. He's for missions and, missions and evangelism, as we learned in the Stephen story. God may bury his messengers, but he will not bury his message. Such is his desire to see the good news of Jesus reach the ends of the earth. Even in the aftermath of the stoning of Stephen, even in the midst of the persecution of the church, God would have his gospel go out and bear fruit. You see, the great evangelist in Acts is God himself. We read of the martyrdom of Stephen and the persecution of the church and we see a setback for Christianity. But what we see as setbacks, God uses for his purposes and his glory and for the advance of his gospel. And you know what? That is true even today. As our church services have been suspended and online services become become the norm, at least for a few more weeks, a few more months, What we see as setbacks, God uses for his purposes and his glory and for the advance of his gospel, regardless of the less than ideal or seemingly impossible circumstances. History has shown us this, right? Time and time again. As our church doors remain closed, God is opening up other doors and he's opening up other hearts. Second, God is for the outsider and the outcast. No one is beyond the reach of the gospel, uh, geographically speaking or otherwise. It's very significant here that that Philip travels to Samaria. Now, the Samaritans were remnants of the northern kingdom of Israel um, who had intermarried with uh, Gentiles. And so there's this history of antagonism between the Samaritans and the Jews, which is why the parable of the Good Samaritan was so countercultural and so powerful. For the Jews, Samaritan was almost a dirty word because because they were dirty people. 
But here, the gospel even goes to the Samaritans. Here also, the gospel reaches not only an Ethiopian, but an Ethiopian eunuch. The Old Testament law made very clear that such men could not draw near to God or be near his people. They were outcasts. And yet, just a few chapters on in Isaiah um, chapter 56, verse 3, just a few chapters on from where uh, the Ethiopian was reading, um, Isaiah says this, Isaiah prophesies that under the new covenant, even foreigners and eunuchs would not be cut off from the Lord or his people. Those traditionally excluded will be now included. Those who were once outside will be now, now be brought inside. Those who were once far off will now be brought near. The gospel has broken down all these barriers. And thank God, right, because we were that outsider. We were that outcast. Uh, your homework, if I can set you homework, is to read Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 to 22, and meditate upon this. But what about your heart? How has your heart, how does your heart respond to the gospel? Have you allowed it to expose your sin? Take a moment now and search it. Because we don't need to search for very long until we find things that we wish we had never found and we wish that nobody else ever finds. Naturally, it is in a state of spiritual deadness. Naturally, it is corrupt and inclined toward evil. The great need of every man, woman and child is to be given a new heart. And that is exactly what in the Old Testament God promised to do in the new. And so if you are in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The, the new is here. He has given us a new heart and put a new spirit in us. He's removed uh, our hearts of stone and given us a heart of flesh, one that can know God and one that can live for God. And yet, even with a new heart, we must continue to confess our sin. We must continue to expose it to the light of the gospel. The gospel is like this enormous spotlight, this enormous searchlight, not like a prison breakout light, but like a rescue spotlight. It reveals your neediness, your, your sin, your plight before God and offers you rescue and, and forgiveness and reminds you of who you are in Christ. It, it can be hard. Uh, facing your own sin and neediness before God, being vulnerable is hard. But we can. We can, we can be that vulnerable. We can be that honest because God is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, even failure is not final because God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. What an incredible encouragement that is. Even as we search our own hearts and are confronted by our own sin and convicted of our own sin. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, may we bathe in the light of the gospel. May it expose our need for rescue and forgiveness.
even now we acknowledge our neediness and confess our sin. Apart from you, we are nothing. But in you, we are your children. And if we are your children, then we are also your heirs, heirs of yours and co-heirs with Christ. Amen.